Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, August 10th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 1 to 33. The Lord continues to declare ahead of time that Babylon will be destroyed for her idolatry. Babylonian idols are nothing. The Lord is the creator of all things. By bringing his judgment upon Babylon, he will show his people that he is the only God and that he has not forsaken his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I am fantastic. How's the weather in Warda? It's probably about the same as it is in Smithville. I would imagine so. Glad to have you with us today. That's right. It is warm and it's humid as well. So we had a bit of a reprieve the last couple of weeks, but it looks like it's going to warm up again. That's all right. Thanks be to God for the weather that he sends. Pastor Beck, go ahead. I was just agreeing. Oh, fantastic. Let's talk about Jeremiah. We're in Jeremiah Jeremiah. 51. The last (laughs) time you were here, I think we were in chapter 43 or so, and we've moved on a little bit. We've gotten into these oracles against the nations, and we're in the middle of a really long one on Babylon. So in terms of where we are in the book of Jeremiah, what the prophet has been saying, what he's doing in this section, help us get a lead up into our text for today. Right, right. Well, uh, first of all, I kind of just want to check in on you since the last time that we've been together, because... Uh, you know, we were in 43 when uh, Jer- Jeremiah is uh, is taken to Egypt kind of against his will. Right. Um, and it is just it's been a rough, uh, rough sledding ever since then. Right. Uh, you doing OK over there? Uh, you guys I, I, I am going through I am. a lot. <laughs> That's right. The, the Lord, you know, I mean, these are this is one of those sections in Scripture, these chapters of Jeremiah, where you start to read and especially if you're doing maybe the read through the Bible, you're, oh, oh man, yeah, this, this can be tough going, but there's, there's a lot here. There really has been a lot here. And sure. even though it's speaking to foreign nations, sometimes words we can't pronounce, there's a lot for <laughs> us. And so it's always a joy to discover that when you get to those sections of the word of God, like, yes, the, this word of God is for me still today. Right. Absolutely. And that's, I think that's one of the things that we need to remember uh, as we're studying uh, through some of these more, uh, should I say obscure chapters as we're going through some of these uh, these chapters that are maybe a little bit more tucked away uh, from, you know, you're not going to have a Sunday school lesson written around Jeremiah 51 um, as much fun of a Sunday school lesson as that might have been. Uh, you're just not going to see that. And so we do need to pay attention to what's going on in these texts. And, and we need to uh, to remember always that when God visits uh, his people, Right. Um, that he visits his people um, and he meets out punishment and judgment and and vindication upon the faithless and um, re- uh, restoration and redemption and forgiveness for the faithful. OK, so we're going to see this and we see this, you know, um, this contrast uh, for these last several chapters. Um, I think it's 46 to 51 here. Uh, this is the tail end. We're almost to the end of the book. My goodness. Uh, but as we're going through these last several chapters, you know, it seems like the emphasis is always on these foreign nations, all of these other uh, these other players on the field, you know, 
And um, but the thing to remember is that as we're talking about Moab, as we're talking about Egypt, as we're talking about all of these different places, um, we can see that God's people are blessed in the midst of the unbelievers um, being cast off in the midst of their um, their punishment being meted out. And, you know, even though. Uh, Jeremiah is speaking here a word of prophecy. Um, you'll notice that um, when the Lord speaks, he speaks as if things have already happened. God's not concerned with, you know, this will happen, but he'll simply state that things have happened, even though they haven't happened yet. Right. Jeremiah uh, very likely is speaking these prophecies before um, before uh, Jerusalem has fallen uh, even. And so uh, we get this this picture of Babylon. Uh, they're, uh, of course, the great enemy. They're the ones that are uh, front and foremost. Uh, we talked about this, I believe, uh, the last time that I was on when we talked about the fact that, you know, anytime that Babel or Babylon comes up in the scripture. We know that is a place from which God's people ought to flee, right? Going all the way back to the Tower of Babel and stretching all the way to uh, to Revelation with Babylon. Babylon fallen is is the great city. Um, we've got this idea that Babylon is kind of a stand-in uh, for this this deep-seated idolatry. Um, that's just it's problematic. It's not it's not the way that God would have things to be, and so their punishment will be severe. And that, that's what Jeremiah is going to be speaking about here in this text. Again, picking up from the end of 50 into 51, we're still talking to Babylon about Babylon. And we've got quite a bit of text. I'm going to go ahead and read for a little bit, Pastor Beck. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Jeremiah 51, beginning at the first verse. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will stir up the spirit of a destroyer against Babylon, against the inhabitants of Leb Kamai, and I will send to Babylon winnowers, and they shall winnow her. And they shall empty her land when they come against her from every side on the day of trouble. Let not the archer bend his bow and let him not stand up in his armor. Spare not her young men, devote to destruction all her army. They shall fall down, slain in the land of the Chaldeans and wounded in her streets. For Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, the Lord of hosts. But the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of Israel. Flee from the midst of Babylon, let everyone save his life. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain, perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us go each to his own country, for her judgment has reached up to the heaven and has been lifted even to the skies. The Lord has brought about our vindication. Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it, for that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Set up a standard against the walls of Babylon, make the watch strong, set up watchmen, prepare the ambushes, for the Lord has both planned and done what he spoke concerning the inhabitants of Babylon. O you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come, the thread of your life is cut. The Lord of hosts has sworn by himself, surely I will fill you with men as many as locusts, and they shall raise the shout of victory over you. That's through the end of verse 14 of Jeremiah 51. Let's pause there. So, Pastor yeah. Beck, those first couple of verses, 
begin to describe the destruction of Babylon again. We hear about some of the warriors. Uh, tell us about those first couple of verses. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things we probably need to unpack in those first 14 verses, right? <laughs> a few. A few. Yeah. So um, this first uh, image that we get in the first five verses, uh, really, it it kind of comes to a head in verse five, right? Um, he's stirring up this spirit of the destroyer, right? He's saying that Babylon will be winnowed. That is, Babylon will be will be uh, um, attacked. Babylon will be overthrown. Um, the emptying of the land. Um, he says it's not even worth it for the archer to bend his bow. Right. Um, don't even bother putting on armor and um, and look, look here, like spare not her young men like these. These guys are going to be devoted to destruction. This is that same idea that comes out in the book of Joshua. Right. Um, as they conquer uh, the promised land, uh, the the expectation from God is that you will not spare uh, these people. You will not allow them to live amongst you um, because uh, if they do, well, they're going to cause you to stumble into idolatry, right? But like I said, verse 5 is kind of the head of the of the first five verses. Israel and Judah have not been forsaken by their God, Yahweh of armies or hosts, uh, but the land of the Chaldeans is full of guilt against the Holy One of, of Israel, right? So you have this this idea that when judgment comes upon Babylon and, and Mark Yahweh's words here, Mark Jeremiah's words, judgment will come upon Babylon. When that judgment comes, you will know that Israel and Judah have not been forsaken, but instead that God is standing up for his people. Right. So this is the uh, kind of the theme of the first five verses. Right. And then uh, you unpack it a little bit more. Did you want to talk more about the first five verses or anything in it? Let's talk a little bit there about verse five, because I yeah. think verse five is helpful for us as we try to you know, make use of a text like this. Sure. That the judgment on Babylon means something for the people of Israel and for Judah. And I think it's, it's important to see, you know, you have Israel and Judah in verse five, the, the, exactly, the whole people yeah. of God reunited here. The fact that Babylon is being judged isn't the Lord somehow being mean to Babylon, but he's actually doing something for his own people and he's giving them something to hold on to. I mean, and, and this I think is going to, you know, co connect into say like the book of Lamentations, which we'll cover next. Sure. Yeah. Where, where you've got the people in exile and they're mourning over this and they're wondering, you know, we've, we've rebelled against the Lord. Has he forsaken us? And, and to hear about the judgment of Babylon ahead of time, knowing that going in and then having that word to hold on to in the exile, I think is, has to be a, a great comfort for the people of God, even as we're hearing about the judgment of Babylon. Well, certainly you would hope that it's a great comfort to the people of God, right? Um, I mean, again, this is uh, this this book has been, uh, as I understand it, as I've I've read several places, um, this book is uh, has been organized a little bit differently than we kind of think of as you know first, middle, last, um, and so even though we're in the latter chapters here, um, these are perhaps spoken uh, these uh, prophecies and these oracles are spoken a little bit before, um, but. So think about the reaction of Israel and Judah, um, spe specifically Judah, towards Jeremiah and his prophecy. Um, they want nothing of it. They're, they're not moved or swayed by what he's saying, right? And I mean, isn't that the way, you know, with, with us as well, is, you know, when somebody tells us that, you know, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction, when somebody tells us that, you know, pride comes before the fall and they're talking about our pride, um, those tend to be things that, you know, those tend to be fighting words. Those are the kinds of things that we get upset about. 
Nevertheless, uh, Jeremiah is giving promise here. He is speaking words of gospel. And I think that that's always something that's important for us to remember um, is that when God speaks his law, to the lawbreakers, to the lawless, um, to the um, even to our own to our own selves, as we struggle with that old Adam within us, as he speaks that word of law that says um, that that we deserve death. Um, there is at the same time, kind of, I don't want to say a silver lining, but there is kind of that that hint of, but there's good coming, and for for the faithful man, for for Judah, according to their. They're holding on to the faith uh, for uh, for Christians today, right? Um, in spite of the fact that uh, we're um, all too often partaking in the society that is just spinning out of control. Um, nevertheless, on account of our faithfulness to Christ and on account of his faithfulness to us, right, um, there is gospel for us. There is good news. And sometimes the good news is that the bad is being stripped away. Right. I mean, you think in terms of the um, in terms of the uh, the the return of Christ. Right. Uh, When he comes again in glory, that will be gospel for us. Um, And yet for the rest of the world who is perishing, um, you know, when Paul talks about every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord um, to the Christian, that's great and glorious news Uh, to the uh, to the unbeliever, to the idolater. Um, that's about the worst news that they can imagine um, is the vindication that Jesus really is who he says he is. Um, and so that's what we're what we're seeing here, especially as we uh, as we again culminate in verse five, um, is that God is going to show uh, the entire world um, that Israel and that Judah, that's his people. They're the ones to whom his promise has been given, and he's going to uh, hold himself accountable to that promise, even though they've broken the faith. He's going to call that that remnant, um, the the few who are still clinging to the promise, um, so that they might be saved and so that they might continue in that lineage that leads to the Messiah. Right. And for those people later on, these words become good news. Uh, Like you said, though, for the people who are listening to Jeremiah preach at the time before the fall of of Jerusalem, they're not really paying attention much at all. And maybe who knows what they're thinking at this point. But for the exiles later, a chapter like this, I mean, we know, for example, Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah in exile. So a, a chapter like this is going to bring comfort at that time, kind of like in the in the book of Isaiah. You know, he writes about the exile even before Jeremiah ever does as well. So you, you have that similar thing where the Lord provides a word ahead of time so that when his people get there, they've got that word to hold on to. It's really a, it's a marvelous thing. Let, let's right. keep working through the, the text. In verse six, you, you mentioned this from the outset, the flee from the midst of Babylon. This is a theme that comes throughout the scriptures that the people of God need to get out of Babylon. Why, why is this so important? Well, because if we get comfortable in Babylon, um, we get comfortable with the things that the Babylonians are comfortable with, if that makes sense, right? Uh, I mean, what's, what's the old expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? Right. That's right. Um, I think that that applies also to Babylon is that um, the more that you are in Babylon, let's try it out like this. The more that you are in Babylon, the more of Babylon gets into you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And and this again, this is incredibly applicable to Christians today. Right. You're you're as good as the company that you keep. Right. Um, If you are, are, are filling your soul um, with with all manner of, of things that are problematic for the faith, right? Um, 
that stuff rubs off, uh, rubs off on you. That stuff, um, it, it, you, it, you sort of internalize it into your own worldview. Um, if that's what you're seeing, if that's what is, you know, your daily bread, if that's what is, uh, right in front of your face all the time. And so the the uh, the cry to flee from the midst of Babylon um, is one that Christians uh, should always take to heart. This idea that um, you don't want to be a part of their idolatrous living, you don't want to be a part of what's going on there, uh, because I mean, as as is obvious, you know, I think it should be obvious um, is is that um, idolatry is something that anybody can slip into. Right. Sin is something that anybody can can fall, uh, fall headlong into and shipwreck their faith. And so the call for us to uh, to abandon Babylon, to not take refuge in Babylon. Uh, I, I think you remember uh, when we were talking the last time that I was on, we were talking about the fact that the problem was that Judah, uh, you know, they were afraid of Babylon more than they feared God. And so they turned to Egypt right, to this other country because they even feared them more than they feared God, right? So they kind of have this idea, well, if we're, if we're over here, we'll be at least a little bit protected from Babylon. We'll put some, some mileage in between us was, I think, the way that we had talked about it. Uh, but anytime that you have anything uh, that you fear more than God and trust in more than God, you know, I mean, maybe perhaps the, the Israelites, the Judaites, as they were in Babylon, they said, well, maybe it's not so bad being in Babylon. You know, this is we're part of, you know, we're living here. Yeah, sure. As as servants and as as dispossessed people. But we're living in the, you know, one of the biggest, greatest empires of our time. Um, so, I mean, it's always nice to be on the winning team. I mean, this chapter and the one previous uh, make it very clear to you and to me and should have made it clear to Israel and Judah that Babylon is not the winning team. Even if it seems that way, um, they are headed for a fall. They are headed towards the Lord's judgment. And, and that's, I mean, this text has a very practical reality to that as well. You know, yeah. get out of Babylon because they're about to be destroyed. That, I mean, in a very just practical sense, don't stay there because judgment is coming upon the city and all who are there. So get out of there now, which I, I think is a, a helpful thing to keep in mind when we think through. I mean, my mind, as you were talking, is going to some of the places in the epistles where Paul or Peter or John is, is talking about, you know, how Christians have a different life than the world around us, that, that the yeah. way of the world is one way, and that way leads to destruction. And to see how it, it's quite literal in the sense of Babylon, that Babylon was destroyed in these ways that are described here in this text. I mean, that's just a, a real, a very good reminder of how bad false teaching really is. It's very easy, right. as, as you said, you know, to just sort of get, comfortable or maybe the better word is complacent in the yeah. in the world in which we live and just start letting the world rub off on us and not realize that that is the way that leads to destruction and in text like this you know get out of that because destruction is coming i think it's a, a very helpful wake-up call and again in a very practical sense where we might listen to say paul talk about the way of the gentiles like okay paul that's nice but here jeremiah <laughs> says destruction is coming on babylon get out of there now that's a bit of a wake-up call Right. And this, you know, this, uh, as we're talking about this text, it, it kind of also reminds me, um, I believe it's CFW Walther, um, in his proper distinction between law and gospel. Um, he talks about the fact that you should flee from false teachings, right? And I remember the first time that I read through, uh, the proper distinction and, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting book. If any of our listeners, uh, want to give that a read, 
uh, you can, uh, you know, give us a call back and let us know what you think. Uh, but, you know, as, as I'm, as I'm re- recalling, when he talks about fleeing from false doctrine and from churches that teach false doctrine, uh, I remember the first time that I read through it thinking, you know, I mean, isn't there something to be said for staying and for, for fighting the good fight and for, for being there to correct the people who have, who have gone by the wayside, that kind of a deal. And, you know, if you're in a church that happens to be, you know, has, has slipped into some, some complacency and some false doctrine, you know, shouldn't you be there to be kind of that, that beacon, that light that says, no, this is true, you know, but as I've gotten a little bit older and, uh, and as I've, as I've, you know, had a, had opportunity to see this firsthand and some things like that. No, I realize that this is a lot more like the, um, like the, uh, when you're in an airplane, right? If the oxygen masks drop down and there's somebody next to you that can't put their own oxygen mask on, right? I mean, the, the whole policy, the whole, the whole idea there is you put yours on first. You, you protect your own self, your own life. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, as you are able, you reach over and you help the person that's next to you, right? And this is, this is really what this speaks to is the fact that um, we are, you know, in a way we are responsible for, for our own, you know, our own spiritual well-being. And so to anybody that's listening today, you know, if you find yourself, uh, you know, metaphorically in this place of Babylon, uh, flee from it, right? Get yourself out of that place where you're imbibing the poisonous air of false doctrine and uh, get yourself in a place where you can, uh, where you can breathe the clear air of, of God's gospel. Right? Does that, does that kind of make sense or did I go off on way too many uh, analogies there? No, I, I think I think that's helpful. And I, you know, I mean, if you find yourself in the place of Babylon, I suppose you know, on the one hand, we could think of the Babylon being a a false church, where a church that's sure. just infiltrated with heterodoxy and even some heresy. That that's one kind of Babylon. That that you, I think that's what you're addressing. And yes, the sir. question of you know how long does a faithful Christian attempt to stay? And reform that. That's a that's a tough one. That's a that's a good right. one to ask a faithful pastor in where you are to kind of get a feel for for that. You know the the passage that does come to mind at least a little bit is in Jeremiah twenty nine where he writes the letter to the exiles ahead of time, or whether well, he writes yeah. the exiles who are already there. And he says, you know, seek the welfare of the city there in Babylon because you're going to be there a while. You know, what does that look like to seek the welfare of that place that? is infiltrated with falsehood when it comes to a a congregation, you know, I mean, that's, that's a tough thing because that Christian congregation is supposed to be a beacon of light. And when it's not, you know, I mean, as Jesus put it, when the, when the light inside you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I mean, so it's, it's a pretty, that's, that's one question in another sense. We're all living in Babylon in the world. I mean, That's one of the reasons, true. and I know it's been a long time since we've been there because we've been in Jeremiah for so long, but one of the reasons <laughs> that we're reading Jeremiah is because we were looking at First and Second Peter, and Peter calls Christians, you know, the elect exiles. And so I think there's, oh, yeah. there's a lot of, like, this conversation, when you put it side by side with what the Apostle Peter writes— in that sense, we're all living in a, in, a, in a Babylon right now, in exile, in the midst of a world that does reject the Lord. And this, this call to flee from that, all the while being you know, salt and light, seeking the welfare, shining the, the goodness of the Lord and his word in the midst of that. And that, that's a challenge for us as Christians, no doubt, so that the, the influence goes from us to the world. And not from the world onto us. And I, I think the only way that that happens, the right direction is, is when we are grounded in the word of God and letting that word of God do the work and not trying to do it 
by our own devices or strength. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff, right? Um, he continues on here uh, in the next couple of verses, right, uh, to talk about um, how appearances can be deceiving, right? <laughs> mm, <laughs> in verse yeah. 7, in verse 8, you know, there's this idea uh, that's, that's kind of reverberating here uh, that says, listen, it sure looked like Babylon had it going on. And again, remember, this is a prophecy before all of this has taken place. Um, and so he's, you know, when when Babylon is overthrowing Jerusalem, when Babylon is carrying people off into captivity, when Babylon is carrying the uh, the uh, the gold and the silver out of the temple. Right. It sure looks uh, like Babylon is a golden cup in Yahweh's hand. Right. Making the earth drunk and everybody is infatuated. Everybody is is obsessed with how big and powerful and strong Babylon is, because in the ancient world, uh, you know, and even in the modern world, when a when a country, when a nation succeeds, there is sort of that tendency to kind of at least think in the back of people's minds. Right. Well, you know, surely God must be blessing those people. But that's not exactly what's going on here, right? Suddenly Babylon has fallen, has been broken. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she wasn't healed, right? God is always there. Um, he is willing. He is able. He is, he is wanting uh, to grant healing and to grant, uh, grant forgiveness. Uh, but Babylon is, as it seems, it's kind of confirmed in its, uh, in its disbelief and in its, uh, in its idolatry. Um, so you see that, um, while it may have appeared as if Babylon knew what was going on and everything was good and great in Babylon, um, the actual truth is that though they were God's vessel, God's means of meeting out his punishment upon his own people and a lot of other peoples in the world, yet nevertheless, they're not going to escape the judgment of their own idolatry. Yeah, that, that judgment is coming for Babylon. The Lord continues to speak that here in Jeremiah 51 while giving hope to his people. And we'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Jeremiah 51 with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Dr. Gregory Schultz answer the question, is postmodernism a friend of Christianity? And we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. In the last 14 years, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has experienced a 59% decrease in pre-seminary Concordia University enrollment and a 61% decrease in Lutheran teaching programs and similar decreases across the board in church work vocations. To answer this challenge, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has begun the Church Worker Recruitment Initiative. To learn all about this, pick up your copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you look at the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is August 10th, and we are studying Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 1 to 33, with Pastor Dustin Beck of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Also, a religion teacher at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. What are you teaching this year, Pastor Beck? So I'm actually teaching the Old Testament. Have you read the Old Testament? Parts of it. We're working through it here on Sharper Iron. Parts of it. <laughs> yeah, I got a staff meeting in about 29 minutes uh, over at the <laughs> high school, so... 
um, yeah, I'll have to duck out of here and go over there and put on a different hat, I guess. I'll keep the same You'll, hat on because we're still in the Old Testament. That's right. You'll be well prepared to teach Jeremiah 51 to those high schoolers this year. I hope so. <laughs> so, Pastor Beck, one of one of the things we've been talking here about getting out of Babylon, false teachers flee from false teachers in congregations where they come or from the world, the false teaching of the world, get out of there. One of the things that appears several times in this text is a name for the Lord that we've seen in the book of Jeremiah. And it, as context like this, it's particularly striking. It's the Lord of hosts. What's being communicated by that title for the Lord? Why does it show up here in Jeremiah 51? Right. So the Lord of hosts or Yahweh Sabaoth, right, um, is this kind of, I don't know, kind of complicated term. It's this uh, this term that sounds funny to us because we don't really use the word hosts unless we're talking about the people that seat us at a restaurant. Right. Um, but that's not the kind of host uh, that God is, is the Lord of. Um, instead, a host uh, refers to the same as you would have like, you know, the whole heavenly host of angels, you know, singing giving, and giving glory to God, etc. in Luke uh, chapter two. Right. And so the host here refers to uh, a massed army. Right. And so you have this this Lord of armies, which is kind of a weird thing for us to think about. We don't necessarily always think about God as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, uh, but that's what he reveals himself to be. Uh, and so when he says the Lord of hosts, we need to remember this um, in sort of you can think of it in a narrow way and also in a broad way. So in a narrow way, you've got the fact that he is um, he is the God who can control armies. He can you know, use armies for his own uh, purposes. And that's exactly what he does with Babylon, right? He has Babylon go in and punish his own people, you know, Judah. He has uh, Babylon come in and mete out his vengeance upon them uh, to wake them from the slumber of idolatry so that they will repent and so that they will, you know, a remnant of them will will remember him and then they will be brought back in under Nehemiah and, and Ezra, right? But the Lord of hosts can also refer in a much broader sense to the fact that, you know, as the Lord of creation, as the God who created all things, um, he is not far off from his creation, but instead he is intricately and intimately involved in that creation. And so you can talk about the Lord of hosts either being, you know, kind of um, angelic armies or the armies of the world. But you can also talk about the fact that God is able to um Maybe I should, shouldn't use the word militarize, but he's able to to employ everything that's in creation for his purposes, right? Which, I mean, as I sit and as I ponder about that, that's actually good news because, you know, the pages of Scripture have revealed to us what God is like and how God loves us and how God grants us forgiveness and how God gives us eternal life. Um, and so he is using Every, um, you know, every facet of our lives, um, every circumstance of creation around us, he's using it uh, for the sake of his own uh, glory and his own majesty, uh, which is known chiefly in having mercy on sinners. Did that kind of make sense? I talked a lot. <laughs> well, it does, it does make sense. This picture of okay, the Lord as a, a warrior, I think, is one yeah. that we don't hold on to as much in, Not in as our much. And in American Christianity today, but it's one that we need. And and you're right. When when we are the ones being attacked, when we're the ones like Judah in exile, then the Lord is a mighty warrior, the commander of armies, and and using all of creation as he needs to do what is good and right for his people. And this is good news. The the 
the image that comes to my mind is Jesus as ascended Lord as well, right? I mean, for us as Christians, that that he yeah. is reigning over all things for the good of his church. That's great news. It can also be bad news if you're not on the Lord's side, you know, if, if he's fighting against you, as is the case of Babylon here. And again, another reason to get out of Babylon, because Babylon has set itself as an enemy against the Lord. The Lord is militarizing. He's uh, he's what's what's there, mobilizing his yeah, troops against. Yeah, he's mobilizing his troops against Babylon. And so get out of there because he is he's going to win. He's he's the one who holds the field. And so, I mean, this this image is an important one. We need to, to hold on to it. And we can, as Christians, take great comfort for it. But one of the other ways that in this text that's important that we see the Lord, one of the reasons for his fighting is not only to show his own people that they've not been forsaken, but also this comes in verse 11. It talks about his vengeance, particularly vengeance for his temple. And so there's yeah. there's an aspect here where, and I think this is going to connect into verses 15 and following, which we'll read in a minute, and we talk about idolatry. But part of this is not only showing his own people, I've not forsaken you, but it's also to show the world who the true God is. And it's not the Babylonian idols, it's Yahweh, it's the Lord. Right, and so this is something that maybe we're not as comfortable with. Like you mentioned, we're not comfortable thinking, uh, or all that comfortable thinking of the Lord as, as, as an army, or the Lord as a, as a military man, a warrior. Uh, but also, this idea, you know, for that is the vengeance of Yahweh, of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. So, you know, let me get this straight. He's going to use Babylon as his own, you know, his own army, his own personal army that's going to go in and knock down the temple, basically. Right. They're going to uh, destroy the temple and carry off all of its uh, all of its um, furnishings. Uh, they're going to carry off God's people into exile. But then God is going to turn around and he is going to mete out his vengeance and his judgment and his wrath upon Babylon because of what he just had them to do. I mean, like I said, that doesn't really that doesn't really compute with us in a lot of ways. Nevertheless, I think that we can look at it with the eyes of faith uh, as Christians, and we can see the fact um, that God is bringing his purposes forward. God is doing what he wills, right? We pray all the time, uh, thy will be done, right? And so God is is doing these things, you know, not, even without our prayers for them. Uh, but we're praying when we pray, thy will be done, that our will would be conformed to his will, that we would see with eyes of faith and understand it. So God can, on the one hand, use these idolaters uh, to forward his purpose of punishing his people's unfaithfulness. And on the other hand, um, that doesn't mean that Babylon gets off scot-free. Instead, they will be punished for their idolatry for the fact that they have uh, overthrown his temple because, you know, the uh, the temple of God is that's the place of his that's his dwelling place. That's where his glory dwells uh, and specifically where the sacrifices that point to Jesus are offered and where the word is proclaimed. Uh, these are the places of intercession. And so um, although. God allows Babylon to step in and to topple these things down. They're not going to be uh, they're not going to get off scot free for that. Again, this it doesn't seem all that fair. It doesn't seem to compute um, until you realize that, like I said before, as as Yahweh of hosts, as Yahweh of armies, um, he commands all things in creation. All things bend to his will. And so um, it's, you know, left up to us not to, you know, be the, the pot that is calling out the potter and saying, you know, why did you form me like this? But instead to just be as God has formed us. I don't know if that makes sense. It's one of those things that uh, we don't we don't really get a good resolution to, but we just kind of get to say, 
well, this is the way that it is. And, uh, you know, whether the Lord gives or takes away, we'll say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, thanks, God. <laughs> Certainly. I do think that one thing that we can say is that the Lord does give Babylon warning of these things. Oh, sure. yeah. Part of the purpose of this text, I think, is that not only for the people of God to hear it, but also for the people of Babylon to hear it. I mean, we know that the people of the Lord took his word into Babylon, and this would have been spoken there as well. And so it's it's not as if the Lord simply surprised the people of Babylon all of a sudden. They had his word as well being proclaimed by Israel. I think it was Pastor, I can't remember, it was Pastor Poppy, I think, earlier made that point in one of the previous oracles against the nations that the Lord doesn't surprise people. He gives warning, and he's doing so again with Babylon here. And I think, it, right. again, not that we can resolve everything perhaps, but that's at least one thing to point out, that the Lord is speaking this word to Babylon as well, because he wants his word to be proclaimed to all people and, and for anyone and everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth, to repent and, and believe. Any more thoughts on, on that or these verses before we move on to the rest of the text? Pastor Beck. Um, just, you know, the imagery, uh, especially, you know, in verse 12, verse 13, the imagery that God uses uh, to describe what's going on here, the fact that, that Babylon is going to be ambushed, the fact that there will be uh, flags raised against Babylon. Um, this this idea, you know, Babylon is, is situated in between uh, Tigris and Euphrates and kind of this fertile area. Uh, you who dwell by many waters, rich in treasures, your end has come, the threat of your life is cut. You know, I don't think that anybody in Babylon would have ever guessed that their life was hanging on by a thread. And yet that's the way that it looks to God. That's the way that God reveals it is that in his eyes, you know, Babylon is barely hanging on. And, you know, it's it's up to him. He's the one who's going to cut that thread and say, no, your time of being this idolatrous nation, your time of being this um, this temptation of success and fame and fortune and and drawing my people away from me, um, that is that is coming to an end right now. So I think that that just the visual uh, imagery that that is used in this prophecy is striking because uh, I don't think anybody would have guessed that Babylon was hanging on by a thread, and yet that's that's what it looks like to God. Quite quite true. That's that's a very powerful image, and those images continue as Jeremiah continues. We're picking up in verse fifteen now. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You are my hammer and weapon of war. With you, I break nations in pieces. With you, I destroy kingdoms. With you, I break in pieces the horse and his rider. With you, I break in pieces the chariot and the charioteer. With you, I break in pieces man and woman. With you, I break in pieces the old man and the youth. With you, I break in pieces the young man and the young woman. With you, I break in pieces the shepherd and his flock. With you, I break in pieces the farmer and his team. With you, I break in pieces governors and commanders. I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea before your very eyes for all the evil that they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags and make you a burnt mountain, 
No stone shall be taken from you for a corner and no stone for a foundation, but you shall be a perpetual waste, declares the Lord. Set up a standard on the earth, blow the trumpet among the nations, prepare the nations for war against her, summon against her the kingdoms, Ararat, Mini, Ashkenaz, appoint a marshal over against her, bring up horses like bristling locusts, prepare the nations for war against her, the kings of the Medes, with their governors and deputies, and every land under their dominion. The land trembles and writhes in pain, for the Lord's purposes against Babylon stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. The warriors of Babylon have ceased fighting. They remain in their strongholds. Their strength has failed. They have become women. Her dwellings are on fire. Her bars are broken. One runner runs to meet another and one messenger to meet another to tell the king of Babylon that his city is taken on every side. The fords have been seized. The marshes are burned with fire and the soldiers are in panic. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor at the time when it is trodden, yet a little while, and the time of her harvest will come. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 51, 15 through 33. So Pastor Beck, in the first couple of verses there, 15 through 19, we get a familiar theme really in the scriptures that the Lord is the only God and idols simply just can't stand against him. What's Jeremiah saying there? Right. So uh, in addition to uh, what you just said, that the the Lord is the only God and idols, uh, they don't even have any breath in them, right? Which is a thing that everybody deep down knows. Um, but before that, he even talks about, again, kind of expanding on this idea of the Lord of armies, right? That he doesn't just command you know, literal armies of, of soldiers and people, but that he is also establishing and commanding uh, the heavens and the waters and, you know, the ends of the earth and lightning and wind and everything else. God is in control of all of these things. And so, uh, again, here's a kind of a, a warning cry uh, to everybody who would set themselves against God uh, is to say, you know, I mean, he's got everything in creation working for him which is, you know, kind of disconcerting if you're trying to stand up against him because, um, well, <laughs> you don't have anything on your side. You don't have any allies. You don't have any kind of help, right? But then in verse 17, uh, 18, he goes on, and in verse 19, uh, he goes on with this, uh, uh, this every man is stupid and without knowledge uh, line. Uh, and why, why are they stupid and without knowledge? Well, it's not just because they're, they're silly or not just because uh, of this or that, but because they worship these created things that can't do anything, right? They worship these stand-ins, these idols, um, trusting and hoping uh, that these things will save them and that they're images of something that is actually invisible that's going to come and rescue them. Uh, and, and, you know, this is this is kind of the... Um, Maybe the uh, the part that uh, causes us uh, to to be retrospective or introspective to think about ourselves a little bit um, is what kinds of idols do we trust in, right? Uh, what kinds of empty things that will abandon us, you know, when we really need them, uh, do we look towards? Um, and I mean, the the easy one, the low hanging fruit here is to say um, that there's there's money. And if you have, if I just had enough money, if, you know, if we could just get a raise, if, you know, um, if KFUO would just pay their guest pastors a little, no, I'm just kidding. This, this is totally volunteer, <laughs> you know, um, if we could just get a little bit more money, everything would be okay. And the truth of the matter is that 
you know, when you have that love of money that becomes an idol, um, it's going to abandon you because it can't answer uh, the deep probing questions and the deep problems of this world and these lives, right? These lives that we live. And so um, anytime that we set up anything within creation uh, to be the ultimate good or to be the means towards the ultimate good, uh, we just like Babylon are going to be disappointed. We're going to be dismayed. Um, and so uh, this contrast that he draws uh, 15 through 18, uh, contrast that with verse 19, not like these, not like the idolaters, not like the ones who are making these formed images, is he who is the portion of Jacob, where he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. Yahweh of armies is his name. Uh, and so here, pretty clear reference to the fact that we are talking about Jesus, right? Through whom all things were made, and, and he's the one who comes to be the portion of Jacob, that little leftover uh, um little leftover fragment of faithful Israel, right? And yet he's the one who comes to actually finally do battle once and for all with Babylon and all other idolaters um, and to rise victorious on the third day. Well, I mean, that, that phrase, the portion of Jacob, and then the tribe of his inheritance later in verse 19, I think are, are yeah. very important because that's, that's gospel right there, that this yeah, one is. who is the Lord of hosts, who commands every army and all of creation— He's the portion of Jacob. He's given himself to his people to, to be their God. I mean, that's the, been the theme of the, really it's the whole scriptures, that God wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. Yeah. And, and he's the real God. He's the creator of everything. He's your redeemer. He comes in the person of Jesus Christ, as you said. And so, that, I mean, that verse is like another one of those verses in this text that we really want to hold on to as, you know, it, with all the idolatry that's all around us, because it's, I mean, we're always looking for idols. We can create an idol out of everything. To know that the one true God who has created us and redeemed us, he's given himself to us as our portion and our inheritance. He's And he's claimed us as an inheritance for himself. And that that's just wonderful news in the midst of this text. And, and Pastor Beck, maybe we can return to that. I want to at least comment a few on a few more sections here, particularly yeah. the, the next one, you know, this hammer. And, and it's almost, as I was reading it, you know, it's almost like a, it's got a hammering kind of cadence to it. Yeah, exactly. Why, with you, what's, I break with you. Right? That's right. So take, tell us a little about Babylon as the, the hammer here. Sure. And, and again, this just uh, goes to illustrate the point when we're talking about the Lord of armies, that he's going to make use of his creation to do what he wants done. And so sometimes Babylon shows up and they are, you know, God's, you know, lowercase a anointed ones, <laughs> you know, they are um, God's man for the job or God's men for the job that he's bringing them in uh, to meet out his judgment. And, uh, you know, this points us to the, to the fact that there is such a thing as temporal punishment, right? We talk all the time about, you know, eternal punishment. That's what we um, are, are being rescued from as uh, in faith in Christ. Um, but there is temporal punishment, and there are times when God does, um, you know, uh, send, uh, you know, warning shots across people's bows. That's a, a boating reference, I believe. Um, there are times when God uh, gets our attention and, you know, wakes us up uh, with um, with with uh, calamity, with events. Now, um, this is one of the one of the things that I uh, included in my notes, and I didn't know if we'd get a chance to talk about, uh, but in in the pages of scripture, 
when we have a thus says the Lord, you know, through a Jeremiah, through an Ezekiel, through an Isaiah, you know, when we have a thus says the Lord that says, you know, look, I'm raising up Babylon uh, to knock you down, Judah. Look, I'm raising up these other people um, to uh, to pull you away from your idolatry and to punish you for your wickedness, right? Um, then we can actually, we can say with definitive, you know, a definitive nature, that's what's going on. What we need to be aware of and be cautioned about um, is when things happen in the 21st century or back in the 20th century, um, can we attach the same degree of, of, confidence in saying, well, clearly God is using this or that national power. Clearly God is using this or that natural disaster um, to call his people to repentance because, you know, um, we've passed this law or this court case, you know, was was handed down by the Supreme Court. And so clearly that's why God did that. You know, we can't go as um, as crystal clear as a thus saith the Lord, uh, like we have in the prophets, but we can generically and generally say um, that when bad things happen, it is a call to repent and to believe in the gospel. Because, Pastor Apple, everything is a call for us to repent and to believe the gospel. That, that's, you know, if you shouldn't, you know, scratch your head and say, well, what do we do with that? Well, we have a very clear answer from the pages of Scripture. Repent of your sins turn from your wickedness, believe the gospel, um, cling to Jesus Christ and him alone, and quit trusting in the things of this world to save you. Okay, So I think that when we see Babylon used here um, as the means by which he God has broken down the horse and the rider and kingdoms and princes and chariots and, and, and everything else, um, we should understand that God is using these things and that we have this clear word from the Lord. Um, and from the more clear example here, uh, we can sort of extrapolate out uh, in the generic and say, when bad things happen, it's a reminder for us to cling to God. You know, it's a reminder for us to uh, to be reminded by God's word of what Christ has done for us. Uh, and I think you hit on the you hit the the nail on the on the head uh, a minute ago when we were talking about the fact that this all comes back, this fleeing from Babylon, this vengeance for the sake of his temple. It's all tied up in the fact that, you know, we ought to abide in God's word. <laughs> if we abide in God's word, uh, we will be comforted and our faith will be strengthened, um, you know, towards a worldview that God would have us to have towards this world and towards his kingdom. Pastor Beck, we've got about four minutes now left on the morning. And <laughs> I know there's so much here. Again, we're, we're in this, as we started, a rather obscure chapter of scripture, perhaps. And yet there's so much that right. we can talk about. Any any remaining comments? Again, there's so much imagery that we could talk about, but as as we wrap things up with any final comments, help us again to to see in this chapter its importance for us as Christians today and and how it gives us Christ crucified as our Savior. Right, right. So great, great, uh, great way of introducing the the final thoughts here. Um, the, one of the things that I want to point out to our listeners today um, is that if you notice, especially especially in verses 25 through 33, pay attention to the tenses. Uh, I know not a lot of people like to listen to grammar and things, but pay attention to the way that God talks about this. When God's talking about Babylon, uh, when God's talking about this this mountain that has destroyed others, which uh, you know uh, is seems like the the greatest, most
most powerful thing. God, to God, it looks like a burnt mountain. To God, it looks like it's being cast down, right? Everything is happening either in the present tense or in the past tense. Uh, you'll see in a few moments, they have ceased fighting, right? Their strength has failed. They have become like women. Their dwellings are on fire. Her bars are broken. There is this idea that God stands outside of time. And the important thing for us as Christians to see and to believe is that as God stands outside of time, he invades history for us. That's what Jesus comes to do, that Jesus comes to actually be under, uh, in many ways, the yoke of the Romans. He comes to be under the law of the Jews. He comes to stand under all of this, which God is has used um, to to bring you know everybody to the to this place where Jesus is being punished. Jesus is being stricken. He's being smitten. He's being afflicted by God. And when God sends Jesus to do this, uh, Jesus comes to be the one upon whom God's judgment is spilled. It's poured out. Uh, the, the cup is drained onto Jesus such that he endures all of the wrath of God, of which we see just a picture here uh, with Babylon being uh, being overthrown. But the gracious gospel for us, the good news is that Jesus Christ, God's faithful one, the one faithful one, uh, that he actually, uh, he overcomes death in the grave, right? And just as, as Judah, the faithful remnant, is going to be brought back into the promised land under Ezra and Nehemiah, just as God's people are going to be redeemed again, right? So also is Jesus risen from the dead. So also does Jesus come to be the one who speaks new life to you and to me. And so also is Jesus the one who, again, is going to ascend to the right hand of the Father where he has, how does he put it? All authority in heaven and on earth. The gospel for us, dear friends in Christ, is that we would see Jesus standing uh, at the same time outside of time, looking down on time. Things, Everything is happening in the past tense for him. Thanks be to God, right? Um, he has seen it all. He knows it all. He's He's been there. He's done that. But he also still breaks into creation, breaks into history for us, where his word is proclaimed uh, to, uh, to create new spirit within us, where he speaks words of forgiveness that are effect, uh, effective and efficacious right here and right now for us as we hear that our sins are forgiven and where he visits us with his body and his blood. Um, it's a good thing to be the people of God, whether we're in Babylon, uh, whether we're fleeing from Babylon, whether Babylon is rising to power or they're uh, under the judgment of God. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, because he's won the battle for us. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 51, verses 1 to 33. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. Yes, sir. My pleasure. The people of God have his promise. Babylon is coming to an end. You may be in exile. Live as his people. He is a warrior on your side. He fights for you and he will vindicate you as he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven. God has fought for you and made you his own. You are his people. Flee from Babylon. Live in the comfort of his holy word. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. The series on Jeremiah is coming to a quick conclusion, but we're picking up Lamentations next. So if you have any questions about Lamentations ahead of time, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or contact us through the open mic feature on the app. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.